Welcome back to Cyber Policy Fundamentals, the Start Here series. My name is Sasha O'Connell, and I'm a senior professorial lecturer at American University, and I'm joined by my colleagues Drew Bagley and Megan Brown from CrowdStrike and Wiley Ryan, respectively. We're super excited to launch this episode and dig right into incident reporting. Mandatory cybersecurity incident reporting is a hot topic these days and an ongoing policy discussion at many levels. There are numerous proposals and new mandates coming online, both at the federal and state level. In this episode, we want to break down the fundamentals, assumptions, and trade-offs so that you can evaluate various proposals and approaches as they come online. So we're going to start with what is this policy issue? And to start, let me offer from you know where I sit, the policy issue most simply is whether cybersecurity incident reporting, so the reporting of cybersecurity incidents should be mandatory, and if so, to whom? And that's really the challenge that policymakers are struggling with to formulate those rules. Megan, is that right? Is that the place to start? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, there's a lot of different trade-offs, but I think a fundamental principle to keep in mind is that cyber attacks and cyber breaches are fundamentally criminal activities, right? If you if, if a major company is subject to a major incident, someone has done a very bad thing and violated several federal laws at a minimum. And it is unusual in our society and sort of civil justice system to require victims of crime to report that crime in other circumstances. If you think of victims of robbery, identity theft, physical violence, there's not some overarching mandate that says all crime victims have to run to the police or tell anybody. That might be a good thing. It might be nice if people did in certain circumstances, but that's not the assumption when you're the victim of a crime. And so I think sometimes these discussions forget that private organizations and governments, frankly, are victims of crimes when we're talking about cyber incidents. Absolutely. That is really good context. And I think that analogy to kinetic, right, or real world crimes is an important one to keep in mind if there is going to be a change from that tradition, right, is the justification there. Drew, is there historical context here for cyber incident reporting? What's your thought on that? Absolutely. Cyber incident reporting isn't all that new, especially when we think about the broader family of data breach reporting obligations. So beginning about 20 years ago, or actually a little more than 20 years ago, in 2002, California passed the first state data breach reporting obligation. The Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, also known as HIPAA, was amended in 2003 with its security rule. And for those requirements, what you really had was the beginning of an impact-driven regime. In other words, where there was some sort of impact on victims and the type of data was the type that could be used, such as to perpetuate identity theft. It was sensitive personal information known as PII. Then that sort of personal information breach would need to be reported. It also mattered how many victims there were, what the circumstances were and whatnot. And these early data breach reporting requirements had very long lead times from when an, you would discover an incident and then when you needed to tell your regulator. And so what we've seen over the past few decades is things have gotten more industry specific. The definition of what an incident or a breach is has changed and really applies in some ways to a broader category of data. And at the federal level, we haven't seen one overarching federal requirement. Instead, we've seen more of these industry specific approaches. In the same way HIPAA was focused on healthcare, we now have reporting obligations for critical infrastructure 
and we have reporting obligations for the financial sector and other sectors. Awesome. I think that's super important context. So maybe then taking next, we can revisit this idea of defining terms real quickly, then maybe talk a bit more about what the real problem is that policymakers are trying to solve. Again, Megan, to your point, if this isn't how we do it <laughs> generally, right, why is cybersecurity different and what problem are we trying to solve? And then some of the factors that make it particularly tricky. So just going back to the definitions real quick. So as I mentioned, right, incident reporting is when an organization experiences a cybersecurity incident and reports it, we generally consider it to a government agency is what we're talking about, right? And it comes in two forms. It can be voluntary. The organization decides for itself whether it tells someone or mandatory, a law or regulation or contract situation that requires the organization to notify the government. Is that a fair description? Am I forgetting anything just to level set on what we're talking about here? Yeah, no, I think that's right. There also could be, as Drew mentioned earlier, sort of data-driven requirements, right? You may have to notify consumers or others whose data was affected. But yeah, that's what we're talking about. Perfect. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Why is this different? Why do we even, what problem is created in cyber that, to your point, Megan, it's not created in other families of crime and reporting? What problem is the government trying to solve with this intervention, Megan? Yeah, so we've had for years, on top of the few mandatory regimes that Drew talked about, it's mainly been a system of voluntary reporting of cyber incidents, and Congress has done a few things to try and encourage that call the FBI, call DHS. They've enacted statutes to make it easier to do that and to protect companies who do that. And there's a lot of reasons, frankly, why victims of a cybersecurity incident might not want to go public or might not want to call the government. Hesitation about having the FBI in your system. The FBI has done a great job recently over the past, say, five to 10 years of changing that culture, but it's heady to pick up the phone and call a law enforcement agency and ask them to sort of get in your business. In addition, you might have an incident that doesn't really have uh, strong indications of harm to consumers or likely identity theft or um, systemic impacts, or you might not know the impacts early on. Um, investigations can often take weeks or months um, to really figure things out. The victim might not want to tell the government because of regulatory risk. They might not want to tell the public or other companies because of brand impacts, as well as class action litigation exposure. Or as we saw after Colonial Pipeline, your CEO gets hauled before Congress and yelled at for any missteps that might have been made. And we've seen this. There is a, a risk of re-victimization after you go public if reporting happens before your systems are secured or what's going on, or even some of the ransomware bad actors will double dip. So I, I see a lot of reasonable hesitancy to make certain incident reports, both to the government and to the public. Okay, I'm officially then not convinced, right? Drew, what's the argument on the other side? What are proponents of mandating reporting arguing? What problem are they trying to solve? Yeah, supporters of reporting mandates are generally citing several different problems that they're trying to solve. And it really depends on the type of reporting requirement, the sector they're focused on, and whatnot. So if we take all of that together, the list of some of the most common policy aims would be, first of all, raising awareness of some of these data breach incidents or cyber incidents. And then in theory, what that means is that if victims know that this sort of thing has happened, that helps them ensure they can better secure their own data. That also helps them think more about who they're going to trust their data with, 
which then in theory can create incentives for companies to bolster their security and make sure that they're protecting data better. There's other arguments depending on the government agency involved and supporting certain types of requirements. There are investigation and enforcement equities at stake. If the government doesn't know about these incidents, then the government doesn't have the information to investigate them. And then also the government doesn't have the ability to use its resources at scale to potentially disrupt adversaries who may be behind these types of attacks or to enforce against companies or even other government agencies that might not be responsible stewards of data. And so there really is this enforcement angle that if you have laws to protect data to begin with, how are you going to be able to enforce those if you're not aware of uh, when there have been lapses in that? And then there are some incentives for those companies themselves. If a company is aware or a government agency is aware that they would be publicly exposed in some sort of way or obligated to tell a regulator or obligated to tell the victims about a cyber incident, then that's going to further incentivize them to protect their data with even more resources, to devote more resources to that so that a breach or a cyber incident doesn't happen to begin with. We certainly see this a lot today in terms of some of the ideas behind some of the modern legislation where you don't just see a notification obligation, but you also see an obligation to protect data to begin with, with reasonable measures, something that's intended to change over time. And then there's also this notion that if you have a bunch of these obligations or they're broad enough, you can overall change the culture. So a couple decades ago, for example, a social security number was something that was much more commonly used as an identifier for things that had nothing to do with social security or filing taxes. And now, of course, we've seen instead a migration to other forms of identity for various applications. So there really can be this change of culture when certain categories of data are deemed to be regulated and other categories less regulated and have less penalties attached. And then ultimately, there are arguments that if you have some types of these obligations in place that are requiring this type of data to be produced on cyber incidents and data breaches, then that can better inform policy as a whole. So for example, it might be that if you're seeing lots of different patterns that are consistent with certain types of cyber incidents, and they're all coming from a particular threat actor or using a particular payment method or targeting a particular sector, and that can inform policymakers as to where they should devote their energies and attempt to come up with some sort of new policy solution that instead of focusing merely on the reporting is focusing on stopping the cause of the problem to begin with. It's so interesting and hearing you both lay those out, it's clear why this is an evergreen issue, right? That there's a lot to contemplate in terms of costs and benefits in both sides of the argument. I would say maybe in summary, and I'm curious what you guys think, the reason this is particularly challenging or what makes this so hard to nail down and define sort of falls into a couple, at least priority buckets. And one is that there are clearly, as you both said, complexities and trade-offs, right, for reporting mandates because victims and investigations could be harmed by over-reporting or premature reporting, right? So that's not even necessarily obvious on the investigation side. Additionally, consumers might suffer, right, from notice fatigue or over-reporting could be harmful in that way too. And that is just too much, particularly in agents in organizations or companies that are in a regulated space. 
And then I heard you guys talking about, too, the move from voluntary to mandatory kind of impacts and complexities for that relationship between the private sector and government, the trust piece there, and how that works um, both positively and negatively. Before we move on to laying out the key players, any other thoughts, you guys, on why this makes it particularly tricky, given the arguments you both laid out? I like that you just introduced that concept of trust, Sasha, and I think we'll come back to it. But I think the relationship so far in cyber has frequently, but not always been, built on trying to create that trust that makes companies want to call the FBI or call DHS or even call their regulator. And there may be downsides to some of these new mandates because with mandates come accountability and enforcement. So that's, I think, one of the big things that policymakers have to balance. And you've seen that in a lot of the regulatory comment cycles that are ongoing. Yeah, I think another difficult issue to grapple with some of these reporting requirements is that we moved away from an era in which there was a long lead time with these reporting requirements to one in which there's an expectation to report nearly immediately. And, and granted, there definitely are thresholds. There's thresholds on determining that an incident's a high impact, making a determinality, determination, etc. But ultimately, in those first few hours and days after there's some sort of data breach in modern times, you're usually dealing with a cyber incident. And usually the priority is to mitigate that incident, stop the bleeding, and ensure that more data is not going to get out. And so sometimes I think that there's many equities at stake and interest with regard to the breach reporting itself, but this isn't done within a vacuum. I think that's really important to remember. Yeah, that's great. So in addition to this idea of voluntary versus mandatory, you're pointing out two other things, right? To how big of a breach or cybersecurity incident does it need to be, right? To be reported, this idea of materiality, spoken another way. And then you said a couple of times, Drew, I think it's really important, the time aspect, right? Like how long do victims have to report? So those are all three kind of important things that need to be considered when thinking about any of these policies going forward. That's super helpful. Let's turn for a second to the key players here and their equities and interests. I think it really helps understand the context of these discussions to understand where people are coming from and what their incentives are and their equities are when they bring it to the debate. Drew, can you start with the private sector side? I know that's a big task. Can you sum up how the private sector feels real quick on this? Um, but what are some key points there? Yeah, absolutely. If we look back at the history of data breach reporting, there are, of course, all 50 states have data breach reporting laws. But now what we've layered upon that are many industry-specific reporting obligations. And so now you have many larger organizations in the private sector that really fall into multiple categories. So they have a Venn diagram of reporting obligations whenever there is an incident and there's no consistency over even how those incidents are defined or what those timelines are for reporting those incidents. So I think that when you think about where the private sector is with anything in the regulatory space, they're always looking for consistency. Then you can resource around consistency, design processes around consistency, and then comply with the law. And then organizations that aren't, there can be enforcement penalties. But where you make things very confusing and layered, then it's very hard for organizations to comply with the law, especially smaller ones, when they have competing, potentially competing legal standards. So I think consistency is one of the key things that the private sector is interested in. That's perfect. And then thinking about it from a consumer perspective or an advocacy civil society perspective, I think it's important to think about, too, the dual piece of being concerned about one's 
personal data and security and privacy, right? And how those things kind of come out in the wash in terms of a balance of protecting one's data and getting that notification and also protecting the ability to control one's data, right? In reporting to government and where that data goes. So that's a whole other piece. I think that's very much in the mix. Megan, what do you think about both of those? And also, can you talk about the government's perspective real quick? Yeah, sure. I think on the consumer side, one element that we've seen is not just an interest in consumers and security of their data, but also the reliability of the services that they have come to expect. And so I think you've seen a shift in how the government thinks about the private sector's duties, which is, I think we've kind of moved beyond, frankly, some of the data-focused regulations. And now we're talking about resiliency, availability, et cetera, really important services. That's why there's this focus on critical infrastructure, right? In From the government's perspective, there are a lot of actors. And whenever I think about who the key players are in government. I also, because I'm a lawyer, I think about what are their authorities? Have they been told to go do this? So we have a few key players. The FBI has been doing this for a really long time. The Department of Homeland Security is now a major player. And I think that creates some friction with the FBI in policy decisions. But DHS has the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency that has been given a bunch of new authorities from Congress. They're supposed to be kind of the belly button of the civilian critical infrastructure government relationship. But you have these other regulators who are out there that layer on top of from the Federal Communications Commission to the Federal Trade Commission to the Transportation Security Administration, EPA, the securities regulators, they are all doing things on cyber. And I think everyone in policy world needs to think about what are they doing? How does it relate to all the other activities and what are their authorities? And then finally, another huge player in this space are the state legislatures and regulators. Because, as Drew mentioned, there's not an overarching federal privacy or cyber regime right now, the states are kind of off to the races and creating some additional complexities. California's one, New York Department of Financial Services is another, but there's a whole bunch. So that's kind of the, as you like to call it, Sasha, the who's who in the zoo. From my perspective, on the federal side, it is an ever-expanding set of characters, unfortunately. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you both for your help breaking this all down. While many know about current or pending incident reporting requirements or proposals, unfortunately, I don't think we often stop and think about definitions, historical context, and real problems or issues we're trying to solve, as we've covered here. Because we want to take some time on this topic to dig into some of the proposed interventions more specifically, we're going to reconvene for another episode of Start Here to do just that. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time when we continue this conversation. And please be sure to follow the link to our website available in the show notes to access additional resources on this and other related topics.